You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose podcast. For more sermons and content, visit sojournmontrose.org. Amen. Okay, so we're going to jump uh, right into Matthew 28. And, and again, for those of us who maybe weren't here, let's just remind ourselves where we are at in, in the context of Scripture, right? Um, we are in the book of Matthew. We are at the conclusion of that book. Now, now Matthew is just an account of Jesus' life, right? From the point of view of, the, of this man, Matthew. And we are at sort of the part of the book um, where the, all of the major events in Jesus' earthly life have, have sort of taken place. And, and we're immediately after um, his resurrection from the dead, which is probably what is most debated um, about the person and the work of Jesus, right? Um, but it's immediately after his resurrection, he has been um, witnessed by Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, and now he appears to his disciples. And this is what he says to them. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so you're probably wondering, like, you know, how did we get three sermons out of this? It all seems fairly self-evident. And yet, um, what we are going to do today, much like what we've done the past couple of weeks, um, is kind of zero in on some words that are going to be helpful for us in understanding the weight and the significance with which Jesus is speaking. But first, let me, let me do this, right? Uh, I think there are two uniting phrases that I have used sort of throughout the past couple of weeks. I'm going to repeat them so that we have them in our mind before we move forward, right? The, the, the first one is this. God's intent was always to have a people to Himself, a people to whom and through whom He reveals Himself, right? So, so we've said over the past couple of weeks that that statement essentially sums up the the entire narrative of the Bible and what we believe to be the entire narrative of, of human history or reality as we know. That God in all of that has always intended to have a people to, uh, a people to Himself, a people to whom, and then through whom He would reveal Himself to the world. And then what we said the first week was this, and I'm pretty sure we mentioned it in the second week as well, which is this that the person and the work of Jesus Christ is the fulcrum of that story. Meaning, meaning that is the turning point. That is the hinge upon which all of history bends and moves. The person and the work of Jesus. And so, this being sort of the, the climactic sermon of the series, um, this is what I want for us to understand. That entire phrase, God's intent, was always to have a people to Himself, a people to whom and through whom He reveals Himself. That is the mission of God. That is the one mission of God that He set out before creation, in creation, in all of history, through creation, and what will be the reality at the conclusion of that creation. Now the reason that we needed the one gospel and the one church is that they are, they are incredibly significant players in that greater reality. In that when we talk about God's intent being to have a people to Himself, 
of people to whom he reveals himself, we're talking about that people being the church who he has revealed himself to through Jesus, but now that church, the blessings of knowing Jesus no longer terminate on, but actually navigate themselves to all peoples through the church. And so if this is the greater context of the mission of God, the gospel of Jesus, and the church of Jesus are the means by which the Lord sees His mission accomplished. The mission to have a people to Himself, both to whom and through whom He reveals Himself. Now, here's where we will dive in. and I want to focus on uh, verse 19 first. It says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And again, at first reading, right? Fairly clear in that there's not a lot of room for ambiguity. But again, we lack some historical perspective that the people who are listening to Jesus say this at the time would, would have keyed in on in a very significant way. And here's, here's what I, I'm going to do. And I'm going to do my best to keep this brief. Okay, but up until this point in the biblical narrative, the people of God were Israel. Right? It was a nation. It was a nation of people that, that you belonged to either by heritage or because you assumed that heritage upon yourself and for your family. Right? The nation of Israel was God's people. And for some reason, right, throughout, throughout the, the history of the Old Testament, as we kind of read it, we hear this refrain of God's promise that He's going to have a people that's made up of every nation. And yet, so, so we're looking at this, this people of God that was the nation of Israel, and yet God throughout the Bible is saying that He's going to be involved not just with the nation of Israel, but with all the nations, that His people will be comprised of every tongue and of every tribe. So how, how do we reconcile that? Well, this is where the depth of what Jesus is saying becomes, becomes incredibly incredibly significant. Because what, what we could use that word nations to, to signify, or what essentially it is a shorthand of, is, is this. Jesus is essentially saying this. And, and, and this word will be confusing at first, but I'll explain it. Go therefore and make disciples of all the Gentiles. Now what does that mean, right? And how do I know if I'm a Gentile or not a Gentile? All that, all that that means is this. The Gentiles were the people that were not a part of the nation of Israel. And what Jesus is saying, as the fulcrum of, of history, as the crux, the center of this mission that God is accomplishing, not just for the nation of Israel, but for all nations, what Jesus is saying is that now is the time at which the grace of God through His people will extend to every tongue, to every tribe, and to every nation. Go and make disciples of all nations. And so what we're seeing here, right? What we're seeing here is the, the, the continuation and the fluid relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Right? So, so here's the thing. I think often uh, we, we sort of set up a, di a dichotomy that's not really there in that Okay, so since Jesus came, really all we need to know is sort of this stuff after He came, the New Testament, right? 
and really all those things before were just kind of to show us how bad we were and they're not really they're not really relevant anymore. It was just kind of telling us a story of why we needed Jesus. And while while some of that is absolutely true, I think we miss out on the fact that that Old Testament for us is not only relevant, but it actually places us in the context of this history, this reality that God is weaving together. And this is a moment of many moments throughout the New Testament and the Old Testament that we see those two converge and come together. Because when Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, He's saying, now is the time when my influence extends beyond the nation of Israel and to all nations. So mission, right? the mission of God is the narrative of the entire Bible. The mission of God is the narrative of the entire Bible. So, when we talk about the, the mission of sojourn, um, it's very clear that what we want to be a part of is, is not actually our mission, but God's mission, right? We've said, that, we've said the mission statement every week, and I'll just repeat it again. Joining the Father, Son, and Spirit in the historic work of redemption. Right, that what God is doing, that His mission to have a people to Himself, a people to whom and through whom He reveals Himself, that that is what we are joining in as the people of God here at Sojourn. Because we really believe that if mission is the narrative of the Bible, and if the mission of God is the context in which not only the life of Jesus takes place, but the securing of His people, the church, takes place, that we by necessity have not only been baptized into Christ, but that we've been baptized into His mission as well. So we belong to what we believe is a historic movement of God. And here's sort of traditionally how that's happened, right? This might be some review from last week. It has happened because people have done ultimately what Jesus tells them to do here, that they've gone, that they've made disciples, that they've taught people to observe all that Jesus has commanded us. But that it was because somebody told somebody. Right? So you and I sit here today because there is a reality taking place that now God has revealed through His Son in His Word to His people, and now those people go and as ambassadors for Jesus, they tell someone who tells someone who tells someone that's 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 really the 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 magic ingredient in all of this this crazy work that the Lord has done. That that a a mid thirties Jewish carpenter who died in relative like obscurity. We now sit two thousand years later and study what he has to say and believe that he has affected salvation for us by His substitutionary death on the cross. And that that work and that that message and that that mission of seeing people reconciled to God through His work has been propagated because someone told someone who told someone. I have an example. Um, and, and, I, and I think, no, I don't think, I know I know that this is God's grace on Sojourn that we even have one of these stories, but by God's grace, we will have many more like it 
Let me, let me tell you a story of someone who told someone who told someone who told someone. So someone a long time ago told, uh, told some people by the name of Bruce and Susan Wesley that Jesus is who he says he is, that Jesus has done what he said he's done. And they, they turned from their sin and they believed upon that. And then they told their daughter, Michael Wesley, who you may know as Mike, Micah Squires. Well, then Micah told her friend named Sarah Van Dozer, who some of you may know as Sarah Tracy. And then Sarah Tracy told her sister, Olivia Van Dozer, soon to be petted. Right? Someone who told someone who told someone who told someone. This is the historic work of redemption, the mission of God, that He would have a people that belong to Him and that He has revealed Himself to in His Son and now through them purposes to reveal His Son to many, many more. This is the historic work of redemption grounded in historical events and we are still doing we are still doing what we did 500 years ago, what we did 1,000 years ago, what we were doing 2,000 years ago. The Lord, through His people, the church, telling someone who told someone who told someone, has seen the mission of God propagated through His gospel and through His church. So when we talk about the mission of sojourn, we, we want you to understand very clearly that we are not new and we are not novel. We're doing the same thing that we've been doing since Jesus came. So, if the mission of God is the mission of the church, if we are baptized not only into Jesus, but into Jesus' mission, what does that mean for us? You see, I think we've got a couple of problems. Um, and they're going to sound like they can't really um, exist together, but I think they do. Our problem as the church is that we simultaneously overestimate and underestimate the role of the church. We simultaneously overestimate and underestimate the role of the church. The, the mission of the church is sacred, it's holy, and eternal life and death hinge upon the mission of the church. But... It is all of those things precisely because it is God's mission and not the church's. Let me, let me sum it up in, in, one, in one sentence. The church doesn't have a mission. You're like, well, wait a minute. The, the church doesn't have a mission. Rather, God's mission has a church. Right? In that the mission of God pre if if the mission of God is the story of the whole Bible, then there was a point in time at which the church did not exist. So that means the mission of God actually precedes or predates the church, but that now God in his sovereignty through the church is propagating that mission. So the church doesn't have a mission, but God's mission has a church by which he accomplishes his mission. So we can begin to see and value the church rightly. Because that's ultimately where, where all of it goes haywire, right? In that when we become more committed to some sort of superfluous mission or a mission that's more about our, 
our name or our particular brand or our way of doing things that we become propagators of something entirely different than what God intended us to propagate, which was His mission, not ours. Do you see how at the same time that causes us to, to estimate the, the church rightly on both ends? And that we're not so self-centered that we begin to believe that what we want to accomplish as a church is more important than what God has always purposed to accomplish through the church? But at the same time, we can't say that as Christians we don't need the church. Because if we've been baptized into Jesus, we're baptized into His mission, and He accomplishes His mission through the church. You see how that levels us out? See how that gives us a, a, a balanced ground to stand upon? Where we soberly, seriously enjoy and enjoin ourselves to the church and at the same time recognize that the church is always subject to what God would have for her. So, that's an important distinction to note. So with all of that said, right, I, I, and I would, I would hope, and I, I, would, I would, well, I'm not a betting man, so I wouldn't say I would bet, but, um, but I, 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 would, I would hope that that is something that, that Christians in, in all places could agree upon, those realities. That God is doing those things, that He's accomplishing those things through Jesus, and that He's given the church this message, this ministry of reconciliation, as 2 Corinthians 5 would tell us, and that we do that now in the power of the Spirit, and that God, through the power of the Spirit in the church, is winning for Himself people daily. So how do we, how do we then, right? And I, I think hopefully that we could, we could begin as, as churches all throughout the world to, to agree on this point too. But I think we've, we've, we've lost this a little bit. How, how do we join the Father, Son, and Spirit in this historic work of redemption? I'm going to make the case to you this morning that we do that most clearly, most efficiently through the planting of churches. Through the planting of churches. And I, I'm just going to, I'm going to give you two quick reasons why I think there's many more that we could talk about at length. Okay? But two, re, two quick reasons why. One, um, the, the book of Acts um, would be a great place to start. And if you don't know where the book of Acts is, it is, it is right after the four accounts of Jesus' life from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Immediately afterwards, right, after hearing this commission from Jesus to, to go and to make disciples of all nations, right, teaching them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded, immediately after that we see the Spirit descend upon the people of God and it manifests itself now as the church. And then the rest of the book of Acts is the story of that church replicating itself over and over and over again. In fact, that, that passage in Acts 2.42 that we love to read because it's just this beautiful picture of a people living life together in a way that really we probably don't see in any other context, right? That they are gathering together daily in their homes, that they're breaking bread with one another, that they're giving to one another each as they have need, that they're dedicating themselves to the teaching of the apostles and to the prayers. It tells us that that image, that that people, the church being the church, was so compelling that thousands were added to their number day by day. To whose number? The church's number. They were added to the church's number. And the story of the rest of the book of Acts is how that 
that same pattern continues and that people go, they tell someone who tells someone who tells someone who forms this church and in the church living together in light of the gospel is compelling to the degree that people come to know Jesus in a saving way. And then my second second reason I think that this is, uh, th- that I think that church planting is, is the most efficient, the most beneficial expression of us joining the mission of God is because all, all of the New Testament letters, right, so everything apart from um, uh, these, these Gospels, right? All of the New Testament letters are primarily written either to churches, Galatia, right? Corinth, so on and so forth. Or they are written to people who are planting churches. Timothy, Titus, Philemon, right? All, all of the instruction in the New Testament is either A, how to interact within the church to the benefit of the mission of God, or it is to a, a, a member of the church who is going to propagate the church in a new place. All of that instruction is within that context or has something to do with that theme. So historically, we see that the salvation of people, that, the, that, that people meeting Christ and coming to know Jesus happens within the context of the local church. And why is that? Because salvation happens when we, when we enter the presence of God, when we see the presence of God. And this is, this is one of the bigger connectors between Old Testament and New Testament, one of the most significant shifts that happens in the life and in the ministry of Jesus that changes everything. You see, before Jesus, in order to experience the presence of God, you had to go to the temple. You had to go to the temple. And it wasn't just like, okay, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to grab my Starbucks, I'm going to show up 10 minutes late, and hopefully nobody notices as I saunter into the Holy of Holies. Right? Like that, that, it, that wasn't how it worked. It was, it, was, it was an incredibly intricate process that we don't even have time to, to address in detail. But suffice it to say that you had to come to the temple at certain times, bringing certain things, cleansing yourself in certain ways to enter different levels of that temple. And in fact, the holiest of holies where the presence of God was to dwell was only able to be entered by one person one time a year. We couldn't even get to it. There was a veil. And the shift, the shift that happens in the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, right? The death of Jesus being when the veil is torn and the temple is destroyed and the temple is now raised up again in Christ because what Ephesians 2 tells us is that we, God's people, the church, are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That, this, this, that, that God Himself dwells now in the people of God, the church. And so that when people come into contact with the church, they come into, the, in, into contact with the very presence of God Himself. So, so when God uses us to plant churches, 
He's not just establishing gospel presence. He's establishing His presence. You get that? Like that's, that's hugely significant to understand. We're not just creating sort of a, another place where people can come and hear the gospel. We're creating a place where God actually resides. That as we plant churches in new neighborhoods, in new cities, in new nations, that the very presence of God goes before us and with us in order to, through His people, make Himself known. So how do we do this at Sojourn, right? Again, I, I hope that all churches in all places could agree to those things. Because if we're honest, it's because of the people that went before us being faithful to those things that you and I now sit here. In that, in that somebody planted New Covenant Church in Kingwood. New Covenant Church planted Sojourn Heights just north of us. Sojourn Heights planted Sojourn Montrose here and now. And later next month, we are planting Sojourn Gallery. So how do we do it, right? Well, we've talked about each week, we've talked about the mission statement, which is what we do, right? Our, our reason for being. Our reason for existence. And then the, the, the vision statement, meaning how we hope to do it. This being something that is immovable, right? We will, we will, never, we will never try to do anything or be anything other than joining God Father, Son, and Spirit in the historic work of redemption. But how we do it could change. And we will do whatever we have to do most effectively to see that become a reality. So here's, here's the mission and the vision statement with regards to church planting read together. This is what it says. Joining the Father, Son, and Spirit in the historic work of redemption, we collectively hope to see a family of churches laboring together to plant new churches in new neighborhoods and new cities, each joining the historic work of redemption in their local context. So that's our relationship with Sojourn Heights, right? We didn't just plant out of them and it's kind of like, okay, now we're just, we liked the name, so we kept it, right? Like we, we have a relationship. We are a family of neighborhood churches laboring together to plant new churches in new neighborhoods. We're a family of churches hoping to see that family of churches grow because as that family of churches grow, the very presence of God in Houston grows. So here's how we do that, right? I think we, the last couple of weeks we've talked very specifically about sort of, sort of here's some handles you know, that, that, that we can grab onto to know how we're actually going to do this happen. So it's not all just kind of lofty thought. So the first week we talked about how we, like, we want to make disciples, right? And we said there's, really, there's three things that we believe if we, if we do those things well and regularly, our chances of making disciples go up. And this is what we said. We, we, we believe that in order to make a disciple, we, we must, one, build relationships with people. Right? We must initiate the building of relationships with people. Two, we need to expose those relationships to the Christian community. Why? Because it's in the context of the church that people meet Jesus. And the third thing we want to do is we want to share the gospel, not only with our words, but with our deeds. In the context of that Christian community, in the context of those relationships that we've built, trusting that the Lord in all of those things will be kind and generous to produce fruit through it. Here's the three things that we do to ensure 
or at least to give us a better shot at, at planting churches. Number one, we're going to recruit boldly to this end. And here's what I mean by that. Number one, we, we're going to recruit church planters in that we are going to unashamedly, unabashedly say that Houston is a place that needs the gospel, and so Houston is a place that needs more churches. Because Houston, in case you didn't know, Houston is growing by one megachurch per week. And so that means if we planted a new megachurch every week, we would only be holding ground. We're going to recruit boldly to this end. But not just church planters, right? But it's not just church planters that go and sort of conjure up this thing. No, like we need, we need men and women who know and love Jesus to form part of that church planting team. And so here's what that means. And, and this might you know, be one of those sermons that's kind of a space maker. It means if you, if, if you, plan, if you are a member or if you plan on being a member here, um, you're not safe here. And I don't mean that in like a bodily, physically way. Like you're, you're, you're safe in, in that way. But, um, but what I mean by that is that um, you, your life, the cost of following Jesus, right, um, it, it, it will be real here. And that there, there will come a day where we will plant a church and, and whether it's on the south side of Houston or whether it's in, you know, Uganda, where we're going to look you in the eye and we're going we're gonna to ask you this question. Tell me why you shouldn't go. And you're like, wait a minute, isn't that like the opposite of the question we always ask ourselves? Yeah, it is. And here's why. Because I, I really believe that the posture, the posture of the believer should be, should be less about, you know, give me good reasons why I should go. Um, because all this should be fairly compelling. <laughs> right? It, it really should be. It really should be, Lord, like, why shouldn't I leave? Why should, I, why should I stay here? Why should I remain here? And I'm not afraid to say that because the case for Houston is, is super compelling. And we're here um, for the long haul. The second thing we're going to do, we're going to develop men and women holistically towards this end, right? So we're just going to do what Jesus has called us to do, which is to do what? Make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. So that means whether we are here at Sojourn Montrose, we are going to strive for obedience to God because as we do so, the church becomes more beautiful. And if the Lord sends us elsewhere, we'll be more prepared to be obedient in that context as well. Simple. So in our Sunday gatherings, in our neighborhood parish gatherings, we are going to teach obedience and allegiance to Jesus because we believe that that will ultimately lead us to a place where we obediently plant churches for the name and the fame of Jesus. And then this is the third and final one. So we're going to recruit boldly for church planting. We're going to develop men and women holistically for church planting. And then the third thing we're going to do is we're going to send people or send church plants generously for church planting. Now here's what that means. I, I try to keep it brief. All right, so, so generosity doesn't terminate upon finances, but, but I'm going to start there. What that means for us is that um, the chairs probably aren't going to get any more comfortable. Um, it, it probably means that we're, we're not going to you know, uh, start selling coffee in the back. Or I guess giving away coffee, selling it, we might make some money. But 
It probably means that we're going to sacrifice maybe some of the, some of the amenities that, that maybe we could have in order that we can give money away to see churches planted, not just in Houston, but all around the world. But we're going to give of our finances, that our church is going to give away 10% of all that we take in, and Lord willing, in the years to come, even more than that. I would love it if one day we were giving 15 20% to see this thing happen. But we're not just going to give of our finances, we're going to give of our time. And here's what that means. Right? Just very practically. What that means is that maybe, you know, I, so I get, I get paid to, to work on behalf of this church, to serve this body, and yet, I spend a good deal of my time helping people outside of this body. Why? Because we're about planting churches. And so that means that, that time that, that could be used to serve this body, sometimes and in proportion, will be spent elsewhere helping other people plant other bodies. It means that we will take time from a staffing perspective, from a, from a uh, neighborhood parish perspective, to think through what it would look like to send people to another area of our city or of our world. That we will spend the time to do that and to do it well. And we will send generously with talent as well. And that, look, there are some of you here that I, I shudder for the day that you leave Sojourn Mantra. Because it will leave. It will leave a gap. In terms of, in terms of uh, a measure of Christ's gift that we will no longer experience if we believe Ephesians 4 to be true. And yet, for the sake of the mission of God, for the sake of the planting of churches, we will part with those gifts in order that another part of our city might be blessed by them. And so we are going to send church plants generously. Not, not a pat on the back and you know, good luck. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. But with a here, this is all that we have. It is open to you. Use it and let's see the Lord do something wondrous for our city. And here's where rubber hits the road. Um, what, what we are ultimately not um, sort of tech savvy enough to, to make happen today um, is this. Right now, or maybe it was, you know, 30 minutes ago, but today at, at Sojourn Heights, uh, a man by the name of Taylor Ince is being commissioned to plant Sojourn Gallery. And their first Sunday gathering as a, a new expression of the gospel in the city of Houston, particularly in the Galleria neighborhood, will gather together for the first time as the people of God in that neighborhood on October 11th on October 11th of this year. Meaning, meaning that at the same time that we celebrate our two-year anniversary and Sojourn Heights celebrates her five-year anniversary, we will be celebrating the birth of a new local body in the city of Houston. So we said this last week, right, that we want to see neighborhood parishes, these miniature gospel families, multiply well, we also want to see these larger gospel families, these neighborhood churches multiply. Why? Simply this. As disciples, parishes, and churches multiply, the very presence of God multiplies among our neighbors. 
And that is the crux of what we do at Sojourn. The one gospel, the one church, the one mission. We make disciples, we multiply parishes, and we plant churches. Now let me conclude by, by saying this. God says these words to us in Isaiah 45. He says, Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. So the promise of God is that He will have a people from every corner of the earth, from every end of the earth. And He is actively bringing that to pass through the one gospel of Jesus, through the one church of Jesus, as a part of the one mission of Jesus. But here's the thing. I don't know about you, but lately, just kind of with a, a, a passing glance at, at news headlines, um, I've found myself continually asking this same question. How long, O oh Lord? How long? Like there's this there's this wonderful, beautiful conclusion to human history that ends in a place where there's no suffering, no tears, no sickness, no crying. How long? I think that we get a response to that question in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, when Peter writes this. He says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish but that all should reach repentance. So let me say this. In terms of making disciples, multiplying parishes, planting churches, like those, it's difficult work. How long must we toil? Right? Making disciples is probably going to set some of our, our personal relationships in a state of unrest probably going to offend a few people. Multiplying parishes. You're probably going to end up in a, in, in a parish with some people that you don't like. And in planting churches, it's going to cost us more than we want to pay. It's going to cost us more than we want to give. But there's no purpose, there's no mission more overarching or more honorable than laboring towards that mission which God is bringing to be through His church and through the power of Jesus' gospel. There's no mission more harrowing or that requires more dedication. Or dedication. It is wonderful and exhausting. And how do we get through it? Well, Jesus ends with uh, a very appropriate phrase for us. He says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He's literally saying that He is with us all the days. Right? All, all the foods, all the days. All the days which there are, all those days, Jesus is with us. That there is a specific time delineated, demarcated already in the future where Jesus will return in His second resurrection glory, but that until that day, He is with us all the days. All the days by His Spirit. 
So let's be reminded of Jesus' presence with us now and our future reality in His very presence by partaking of the communion table together. Let's pray. Father, we thank